Hey y'all, I'm Reese, and welcome to Making Meaning. Making Meaning is a podcast by the Cohere Collective that is here to guide you along your path to make meaning in a way that makes sense for you by sharing the ways other people have made meaning in their lives. This week, I am joined by my dad, Mike Brown. I typically refer to guests by their first names, but I'm just going to have to call him dad because otherwise I will feel very strange. So (laughs) my dad is currently retired, but before his retirement, he was a finance executive at a mortgage company. And now my dad spends his time sailing and winning national championships doing so, tending to bonsai trees, scuba diving, petting our dog Sage, and having fun with my mom. In this episode, we cover a whole bunch of things from free will to luck to God in the afterlife to trying to live a successful life. But a few quick notes. In the very beginning of the episode, my dad mentions that he is grateful for cookies. And since I can remember, my dad has always said that the meaning of life is to get cookies. So that's a little throwback to that. Later in the episode, my dad and I discuss free will and our tone takes on that of a debate. However, I just wanted to note that we aren't actually debating or disagreeing. My dad and I both just get very passionate and into these conversations. So just a note on that. There is also a Matrix reference later on, so if you haven't seen those movies, when my dad mentions Neo later in the episode, that is the movie that he is talking about. Highly recommend. And an audio note, there are a few moments when you can hear my neighbor's dogs barking. I tried my best to edit it out, but hopefully it isn't too distracting. With all of that covered, let's take a deep breath. and get started. Hi, Dad. <laughs> yes. Hi, Reese. <laughs> Don't be nervous. You're acting so nervous. Pants? Yes. It is just a conversation between a father and his daughter. Okay. Cool. Got it. So, to kick us off, you know the drill as an avid listener, but what is one thing you are grateful for right now? And you can't say me. Okay. I I had a feeling as soon as I I saw your face. I am grateful for cookies. Fair enough. That is the meaning of life. It is, as I've mentioned before. Yeah, it's to get cookies. You know how you get... Not right out of the oven, but a few minutes out of the oven. Mm-hmm. The edges are crispy. And, and they're the soft in the is, middle. Oh, yeah. What kind of cookie? Well, I feel a little bit healthy when I eat oatmeal raisins <laughs> with chocolate chips. But peanut butter are good. Any kind of cookie. What about the, the anise biscotti like grandma would make? That's really good, too. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Now, you, you told me that you were nervous about this question, but... There is no reason to be nervous. You've heard a couple other people do it. But what is your story? Yeah, see, I thought I thought I could figure this out. That's really hard. Um, 
But that but that's the thing. There's nothing. There's no pre-planning or pre. Yeah, I don't have really. Um, so, I, I guess um, I'm the middle child of three. Mm-hmm. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Um, I uh, I was always you know I've always I think I learned a lot from my family in my earlier childhood years, more about what not to do, what kinds of things I didn't want in my life or part of my life as opposed to how to do things well. Sure. Um, I recall, you know, uh, being very independent, internal locus of control, looking for, you know, being, you know, kind of my own person. Um, I was, I was not very good at school. I figured out, <laughs> as you know, I figured out in school how to how to get by. I kind of managed to figure out what the standard or the expectation was from my mom. And um, clearly I knew what the expectation was at school, which was, you know, they said, if you, you don't get a C or better, you're not getting out of here. Right. So, so I figured that out. Um, one thing I didn't figure out that was kind of a disappointment, it came to me later. A disappointment in yourself? Yeah, well, it was disappointing that I didn't recognize this earlier on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even recognize it until I had kids and I was telling my kids, you know, I just couldn't stand school. I didn't like being there. I didn't want to be there. The social pressures were probably more of a big deal than the work, the work or the academic Mm-hmm. But I didn't like either. I didn't mm-hmm. want to, and and all I want to do was get out. Um, what, what I realized about school, I mean, or or anything, anything. if you're going to do something, whether you like it or not, if you're going to be there for several hours a day, set your mind, get your perspective to get the most out of it. Yeah. I mean, you can't be you can't be Superman. You know, you can't be top notch every minute of every day. You can't be on top of things all the time but at least have a perspective and a mentality of of getting something out of it while you're there spending the time yeah especially if you're going to be there anyways you might instead of wasting it you might as well try and get something from it exactly yeah so earlier you said internal locus of control that that was something tell me more about that was that something that you learned as you were older that you were doing when you were younger? Is that something you intentionally developed as a young person? And what does that mean to you? Um, I'm not sure if that's DNA or if I developed that, but I definitely did not realize what that meant or or anything about it until later. Even in in my college years, I kind of learned what an internal locus of control meant versus an external. And how how would you define that real quick? So I would define that that... Most everything that comes into my life or went out of my life, um, if if there was a, an ability to control it, it was up to me to control it, mm. to um, to assume or to put the control in the hands of others was un, was unacceptable for me. It wasn't something that I was just programmed to do. And do you think that that came from a 
place of anxiety and stress that you wanted to be in control or it came from a place of like honor and morality that it's the right thing to do to take control i don't think it was either of those i think it was a um i think it was a recognition that if anything was going to happen for better or worse you would have to be I the wanted, one to do it i wanted to be in control and i believed i was going to have to drive to that conclusion i couldn't wait for something to happen to me and if i you know if i made a decision or went a direction and that was not the right one this you know in my opinion i would have been better off i was better off by acknowledging that i made a mistake learning from my mistake and moving on from that versus you know and or also not relying not not learning that things were out of my control i think you be I think you have a stronger sense of being able to direct your life if you believe you're in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, you know, there are there are tons of examples where I believed I was controlled by others, controlled by a system, controlled by an environment, controlled by my appearance, you know, all those right. things that I could have grasped onto um that I would have considered external locus control I, I didn't see any benefit to to acknowledging that because it was out of my control huh okay and so like you said it, when you were younger it's not like this was something you were cognitively aware of at that moment this is more something you've developed looking back and reflecting exactly okay so at what point did you start looking back and reflecting on those things and why did that happen? Why did you start thinking about hmm. Well, that's interesting. So, life? so yeah, so later I'm in high school. I, I took a psychology class and I learned a little bit about this stuff. I started taking business classes in college, um, organizational behavior, et cetera. And I'm learning more and more about, personality types and these these kinds of concepts um but it so before i learned that though i I don't this might be relevant that it's kind of important that that through high school like i said i was not a stellar student and i spent all this time working and trying to figure out how to get out of it but i was still sitting there in a desk at a desk so when you say how to get out of it you don't mean get out of like this kind of um, teenage angst thing where it's like, I just want to get out of this town. You mean like getting out of the day-to-day work? Yeah, getting out of the classroom and going mm. out and doing something in the world that was fun. Mm. As opposed to seemingly, at the time, seemingly meaningless. But as, as, and, and as you I'm would, matured, I know that. You would define that as just trying to do something fun, not something that felt meaningful? You really do think that that was your drive, was for it to be just fun? No, there's definitely, I think meaningfulness comes into that. I mean, sure. one example, I remember, uh, I remember, I think I was probably about 12, and we lived in an apartment complex, and there was a swimming pool there, and there were a bunch of us, a bunch of the neighborhood kids in the swimming pool, and we're all doing our thing. It was probably a Saturday, uh, midday-ish, everybody's playing, splashing, having fun, and this strange-looking dude walks up, uh, to the end of the pool and he yells and gets everybody's attention and he says 
how many of you or, or which of you would like a job? And in an instant, my mind said, job equals money. Money equals freedom. Mm. I'm in. And I swam as fast as I could to the end of the pool. I think Michael Phelps would have been proud. <laughs> Jumped out of the pool and ran right up to within inches of the guy because I wanted to be the first one in line. Yeah. It's going to be first and nobody's going to be able to get between me and him. If there's one job, it's mine. If there's a job, I'm going to be first and I'm going to have the opportunity to say yay or nay, right? It was interesting, right? So, so I'm standing there, his bad breath notwithstanding. I look around and I'm the only one standing there. No one else cared. You said y'all were 12? Or yes. you were 12 at the time? I was 12 and there were kids anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 in the pool. Sure. Right? Roughly, plus or minus. And I look back, and they're all looking at me like I'm some kind of a nut. Yeah. And I'm looking at them like they're all some kind of a nut. And I couldn't figure that out. Um, so needless to say, I got the job. <laughs> right. But so, so I guess that kind of speaks to the root of my question, though, because you said that you're, not to put words in your mouth, but that you weren't a very motivated student. You were always trying to figure out a way to get out. And it sounds very much not like, it wasn't that you didn't want to do work. Exactly. Right? This is why I was telling you the yeah, story, yeah. is it was hard to explain what I, I was trying to mean. But I was willing to work if I... If it was at something that felt valuable, meaningful, like it was actually going to be conducive to growing your life. Sure. Not... Like so many people say, like, oh, I'm not going to use calculus in the real world. Like, why am I spinning my wheels here when I could be down at the pool making money to, sure. I don't know. So, no, it, it, the actual job was a, it was a, a newspaper route. And youngins like you may not know what a newspaper <laughs> is. But in the old days, we used to get information delivered to our doorstep every morning uh, in paper form. And... um so that was the job. It was for the apartment complex next door to ours, which was about a half hour, half hour, half mile walk across a, a vacant field at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a lot. Of, I thought it was a lot of work. Um, I had to. I was. I was not what you would call the largest kid in the neighborhood. I wasn't a big kid. <laughs> really? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had to, I remember having to tie the, we used to carry our newspapers in a big bag. I had to tie it in a knot mm-hmm. just so it wouldn't drag the ground. And I'm carrying these two big uh, generous bags of papers across. Um, on a side note, the the kind of the worst part is you have to heave these papers up. The, the apartment complex had three stories and I could go up the stairs and make my route last, you know, three hours. Or I could heave them up and throw them up there which was a lot of work, but a lot less time and make the ah. route last about an hour. It's two-thirds less time going up and down stairs, right? The drawback was every once in a while, a paper would hit the rail and start coming back at me. I didn't quite get it over, and I knew that was disaster, so I'd always try to catch it. I'd fail. It either hit me or hit the ground and bust wide open, and I'd have to put it back together and try to make it look nice and put it on their doorstep. So there's some other... Uh, parable in there (laughs) right there you go um anyway i don't know why that popped into my head but it did yeah so one day i'm coming back from the newspaper route i get bit by a spider um and sure enough 
<coughs> excuse me, I have to, all this weird stuff happens and I have to concoct this weird story um, that I blame it on this kid in the neighborhood named Peter um, because are, I, this, became, I became Spider-Man. What, I, I, as soon as you said spider, I was like, this is turning into okay. a Spider-Man joke. Okay, no Spider-Man <laughs> joke. I'm not Spider-Man. I'm really Batman. Um, <laughs> right, right. Okay. Anyway, so go ahead. This is so that that kind of got at my question of like because you've never been one to shy. Speaking as your daughter, who's known you for twenty three years of my life, in the time that I've known you, but also in the stories that you tell about yourself, you're very self deprecating in not wanting to be. That you in you're very self-deprecating in describing yourself as not a good student, wanting to, you know, find the easy way out. But then you're also someone who sees opportunities in places that other people don't. And it's not that the work is what you shy away from. I almost see it as like inefficiency. Oh, absolutely, yes. That 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 is what's frustrating for you, and. It's like if school is a waste of time and I'm just required to be here, I am going to find the way to get it done the most efficiently. That way I can spend my time doing something that is productive, whatever productivity or whatever to get to whatever success looks like for you. Right. Right. Unfortunately, I wasn't necessarily efficient at school if I was only going to make C's and only do the bare minimum that was necessary. Then that left a lot of idle time and trouble you know I was good at getting in trouble idle hands idle hands exactly um, but you are correct that that I am um, I have a, a personal distaste for waste and inefficiency in general not not just um, any inefficiency but when it's when it's when people aren't making an effort to be right. efficient or to do things well because there are certain times that doing something not the most efficient way is still worthwhile, right? That there's exactly. something else you're getting out of it. Like stopping and smelling the roses or reading t- a book for enjoyment is, is absolutely uh, inefficient in certain terms and sure. certain ways, but it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a joy that, that life gives us that you don't want to miss. And that's just one example. There are right. Of them. Right. Well, and I know you always told me like, if I'm going to, watch a trash tv show or read a trash book you would rather me read a trash book right like some teeny bopper romance novel as opposed to watching Fairly i would because parents. i do i that's my perspective i would right. because i have a belief that that reading even something you know trash is going to provide some benefits in that you become a better reader you learn to read yeah. better well, your you vocabulary. Your... There's a lot of benefits that come from that. So it's less engaging. Yeah, especially me. I think depending on the TV show. It's less engaging. It's more. It's a lot more of a one-way than a two-way activity. Sure. But so the the evil irony of the world is when I finally I finally get out of high school. I finally graduate. Uh, my mother's thrilled because uh, that you know that was an accomplishment. Um, and uh, you know I, I'm jumping up and down. You who great, but. But it didn't take long, you know, like days or weeks. I, I kind of wake up and, and I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm saying to myself, self, now what? Self? <laughs> <laughs> you know, now what? what? What do we do from here? And, and I concluded pretty quickly that I had one of two options. 
One of those would be to uh, pursue and and become active, actively engaged in a career, mm-hmm. or go to college. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> more Which school theoretically should put you on the path towards being actively engaged in a career, but. Isn't it interesting that those two paths, it's almost like a straight shot towards something or a little side tangent towards the same thing, right? And neither of those options that crossed your mind were, how do I become actively engaged in life? That never crossed my mind. Yeah. No. That was definitely a, it's time to be responsible or not. (laughs) (laughs) And... In college was the not responsible thing, comparatively in your brain? Yes. Why? Did, why? Isn't that interesting? That is. Um, so so a big part of it, though, was this was fear. I was afraid of the responsibility. I was afraid of the unknown. I was afraid of what was out there. Yeah. Well, college, college is way more similar to high school than a job is. So college allowed me the ability to keep living at home. Right. My mother was okay if I was going to college, I like I said, I started with newspaper routes, but I'd always been working. I worked, um, and not because I had to, but because I wanted to work right. and have the independence and the freedom that 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 gives you. Um, you know, through high school and and college, so mm-hmm. I was working jobs, and you know, they weren't glamorous or odd jobs; they were crap jobs. But I was working, um, doing this. Um, but the college route allowed me to. The college route allowed me <clears throat> to kind of stick with the status quo. I could keep working the part-time mm. jobs. I could be, you know, I could I could be very. I didn't have to really find something that was quote unquote a career or a profession or or something that was going to pay the rent. I just had to pay, you know, the college tuition. So. I sauntered down to the community college that was not far from our home, mm-hmm. and uh, they they said, "Sure, we'd love to have you, but we need you to take this test before you know you can come in." I'm like, "Okay, I can take a test. I'm good at that." And uh, I take the test, and unfortunately, they informed me that there was a lot of material I was supposed to learn in high school that I hadn't yet demonstrated proficiency of <laughs> on, uh, for. <laughs> and so my first couple of years in college and this is really the the kick in the pants for me the first couple of years in college I was taking the classes that I repeating basically the classes that I didn't pay attention in high school so and, talk about frustration with the lack of efficiency in time right with yourself right yeah. with an internal locus of control I had no one there was nowhere no one I could blame besides myself on that I mean I can't say oh I didn't have the right environment I didn't have this I didn't have that it, it was I knew better. So so that's interesting because, sure, you're naturally a smart person, when, even when you're in high school. Like, yeah, you knew better. Like, Grandma was also a smart woman and I think raised y'all with drive and, you know, good morals. But I do think that it almost gets into the question of at what point in your life are you responsible for the way you live your life versus the way you've been raised or the way you've been told to live your life. Because even though grandma was a great mom, 
there is the question of, well, she knew you were slacking off and you could do better. Like, you and mom never would have let me or my brother get away with that, right? So it's like, yes, there's no one you can blame but yourself to a certain extent because the true consequence does fall on you. However, then at what point do you think the um, consequence, whether that be blame or praise, of any student or any child's successes or failures then fall on them? If you think that that is 100% your fault. Well, no, I I think so. See, that's a fair question because now... Because it's got to be a mix, right? Right. Yeah. So the question you said, when does one become responsible for their own decisions? And I think, I think it's, uh, it's an evolution. I think at, at a few years old, one becomes responsible for some minor decisions in their life. Do I go take this toy away from that kid over there because I want it? Or do I go negotiate with that kid over there? Or do I find another toy uh, to satisfy me until that kid puts it down. But even so if there's they... de- there's growth and decision making. Yes. When but... I was screwing off in high school, I knew better. Sure. So you th- it was some point before then that you think you should have learned that. But even like, let's take the example of the baby stealing the toy. What if that baby was put up for adoption, put in a home, and subconsciously learned that for getting any so so let's say it's a toddler not like mm-hmm, a baby mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. for getting enough food for getting the toys you want you have to be aggressive you have to take it you have to do those things no one would blame that baby for sure so you know we I mean? all and, learn and, and, and that wouldn't we all be learn. that so there's fault. two sides to this we learn um back to being efficient we learn how to be effective right at accomplishing our goals purely in life. And we practice by manipulating our parents, mm-hmm. by trying this, by trying that. And if our environment if we if we're if we if we're grow, if we're raised in an environment where certain behaviors are effective at accomplishing our goals and reinforced that way, of course we're gonna learn um, poor behavior, and, and so, but the bottom can, line can you is, blame I don't that know on when that? I don't know. I don't know when it happens, but at some point, we if we're honest with ourselves, we know. Yeah. So I agree with you that there is a certain point where you can no longer blame the parents, right? That like that's the the easy thing to like boil this all down to. Even though, of course, there's way more variables and complexities within that, right? But for the sake of conversation, we'll say you can no longer blame parents. But it's really, really hard, even for me now. So I'm 23. And there are even things that like people in my age demographic will do or will say, and I am like, did no one teach you better than to do that? At what point are you responsible for your own education, even if your family came from that? You you know what I mean? Yes. So, so and you I disagree. think for you at some point it it happened during or before high school where you were like sm- not smart enough but cognizant enough of the way life worked to take up the ownership of your internal locus of control. Yeah. It, it was a, 
even before high school, it was it was a like I said, I don't know if it was environment or DNA or what, but it was innate in me. It was part of me Mm. one way or another. It was part of me from a very early age and it evolved and it grew and expanded in, in breadth at how it, how I comprehended it at first, probably depth. at first I was, I learned, you know, early I learned how to be a kind of a people pleaser. I was a young people pleaser. Um, and, and I've read like stories about, you know, some people are guilt throwers and some people are guilt catchers. And I'm a guilt catcher. I will, <laughs> if there's guilt to be had, I'll take the guilt for something. Um, and, you know, that's not 100% healthy, but I do think in some ways it helps you learn to really uh, put, to, to control what you can control. Mm. It's not healthy in a sense that you know, if you're take if you're accepting guilt and responsibility for things that are truly, you know, out of your 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 purview, out of your ability to control, then uh, then you're you're really just beating yourself up, right? And so you really have to start delineating what is control. What does it mean, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I think I've told you that um, every, I mean, everything, every success or every accomplishment, like you said, when do you start giving credit? Um, or, or, or taking credit for your accomplishments versus giving it to, you know, other people. And right. I think everything that's a success or an accomplishment has, I guess, four components to it, really. I, four? I, I, it used to be three, right? I've changed my mindset a little bit. I've added I don't remember four. your... The so three. the three has always been... It, okay, if you look pause, at any real quick story, before. Is this a theory that you have developed? Well, I don't know if I developed it, but this is... Thoughts Your I've version had. of it? Okay, continue. I don't know I've if had. I've heard this before. Oh, if I've, I have, I okay. don't remember it. I know I've shared it with your brother umpteen times. <laughs> I, I think every success story, when we look at the Elon Musk, the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts, the... Whoever. The Reese Browns. <laughs> every success story <clears throat> includes a component of luck, mm-hmm. a component of hard work, a component of... of let's say DNA or gifts or talent, you know, whatever you want to call that certain abilities, you know, if, if, you know, the, the, uh, the successful basketball player is seven foot tall, that, that, you know, that's the DNA with luck too. Right. Yeah. So that's DNA. You could, some people could argue that the DNA you're born with is luck. Yeah. Um, and I've added a fourth to that, I think in that it also includes a component of help from a lot of other people. Um, both both positive and negative. Some people influence us uh, in a way that they teach us what doesn't work, and other people influence us by encouraging us and teaching us what does work and being there for us and being supportive. And so I think to, to take 100% of the credit for being successful, uh, any person that does that, I think is short-sighted mm. in not being appreciative and grateful for the people that's helped them. right. And they're not being honest with themselves if they don't truly believe that that some form of luck or cosmic um, higher you know, power goodness, or some cosmic goodness or yeah, God or yeah. whatever isn't a part of it. Yeah. They can take the credit for the hard work and that they should. I think every yeah. individual should should hold themselves accountable, responsible, and give themselves credit for their efforts and their hard work. But they should also recognize okay. these other components. So this is really interesting. This has prompted two thoughts in my brain one so maybe this question of when 
is responsibility thrust upon someone is not really about responsibility. It's more about awareness of the role you play in your own life. Because if you're looking at these four components, right, and you've laid them out as luck, we'll say cosmic cosmology, goodness, cosmic goodness, whatever your um, belief system is. Um, No, wait, wait. Luck and cosmic goodness are the same thing. Oh, oh, okay. Cosmic goodness from whatever hard work, intelligence or DNA or gifts or talents, all those things just. Okay, and then help from other people. So if those four are always present, which I think there's some overlap because I think DNA, talents, gifts, cosmic goodness, luck are all very interrelated. But if those four things are present, that means that the hard work of the individual plus external impact is always, both of them are always part of punishment and reward. So you can always, at least in part, and I guess to have a perfect um, story of how this would actually play out or roll out if this was a theory we wanted to like live our lives based on, you would need to know what percentage based on every accomplishment was hard work versus external help versus the other two items but even that baby stealing the toy to go back to that example part of that would be the hard work that it took for them to go over there and take the toy or whatever and part of that would also be the influence of others from growing up in um a group home right i agree and with so that, yes I, there is no one moment where it is solely your responsibility it is simply Wait. now within your awareness of how external factors are impacting you. Does my, uh, does my question or my I'm thought not sure make I, sense? I stayed, I followed you. I'm not. So, but let me, let me go back to something you said a, a few minutes ago, though. Let me make sure. So when you were talking about the percentages, how much does each of these components contribute to a, an accomplishment or something? Right. In, okay. in action. And I think this goes back to where we were talking earlier, internal versus external locus of control. Mm -hmm. I think an internal locus of control person is going to heavily weight the the hard work slash effort component over the, um, you know, the gifts. The chance. The cosmic goodness, the gifts from cosmic goodness that you have, the height to play basketball or the, you know, the speed to play you know, another sport or whatever. Yeah. External locus control person is going to look at their life and, and say, I didn't do this. It's a, it's a glass half empty. In my opinion, I think there's benefits to both of these, but the way I view it, Mm -hmm. it's more for me, if I were to be externally locus of control, I would view it as a glass half empty perspective for my life because I would be saying, you know, everything is controlled by outside forces. So it's more about the DNA. Uh, it's more about the other people that were, were or were not in my life. I don't have all that much control over my life path. You say that again. Based oh, on that right, mindset, right. you would exactly. be thinking, I, I actually don't have all that much control. So what does it really matter what I do? That's my problem with a, a fully 
effectualized external locus of control, the problem I have with that is why bother? That's that's and the conclusion you towards, seem to find with that. Towards a uh, a human version of uh, uh, determinism, you know. Okay. Yes. However, because that that's also kind of where I was thinking, um, because it almost starts to get into question of questions of free will. So I guess to go back to try and clarify what I was saying, when I asked you the earlier question of at what point is it someone's responsibility to take ownership of their life versus their parents, their upbringing, whatever. Okay. If there is always external factors at play for any action, any accomplishment, any failure, then there really isn't a moment where the person should be required to take full responsibility. There is simply a moment where the person should be aware of the amount of control they now have. It's it's not a you take ownership. It's a shift in awareness. Yes, if I I think I understand if I think I understand what you're saying, the moment this is turning it around a little bit, but the moment one becomes responsible is the moment they become aware. I think it's very difficult to become uh, a 25 year old who wasn't significantly, substantially abused or hidden back away from society. If you were a part of society and you're 25 years old, you've seen enough, you've seen enough television, you've read enough books, you've been in enough school and social environments. Unless you were significantly stunted in some way. At 25, I, I don't I don't believe personally that there's any excuse beyond one's own choices. But I do think we're human and people make mistakes. And so then when we set expectations, we also in my opinion, ought to consider how we would address something that falls outside the boundary. Yeah. Um, I do believe, and you and I have had this conversation before, I believe a person's intent, what's in their heart when they say and do something, is a, a huge factor. Yeah. In, you know, in the rightfulness, wrongfulness nature of it. Um, and I do think we hurt people unintentionally a lot sure um and i do think it's we should be obligated to learn and try not to hurt people yeah but it happens um well, so, so we need to be patient and forgiving too. yes yeah, yeah, yes yeah. so this is a thing the the intent versus impact right we talk about that a lot and that's something that i've been thinking about recently because i agree with you it, someone's intent could be perfectly positive, right? And yet still end up hurting someone. And so the way I kind of view it is that instead of at least the way I've changed to viewing, (laughs) whoa, changed to viewing, the way I've changed my view of impact versus intent is that instead of it being one circumstance, it's actually two different isolated incidents. Or not isolated, because they are related, but it's two different things, right? There is what happens when something is said, something is done, and how that is received. And those are two different things. And I think someone can do something that was fully intended to be positive, and it still be received negatively, and... 
cause hurt. And cause hurt. And in that situation, I do still think that repair needs to be made. I still think that it is based on this secondary instance. It's like you have to deal with the impact regardless of what it is, but it should change your opinion of the person who hurt you. And are you saying there's a, are you saying there's an obligation on the part of the, the giver and the receiver in this case? Yes. I think I'm both. I agree with that. I agree with that. So so that's almost what I mean when I say there's these two different instances where it's not just like no one's a mind reader. You can't hurt someone's feelings and be like, oh my gosh, I hurt their feelings. I need to apologize. Certainly. Right. And, And an apology isn't, well, I didn't mean to, so it doesn't matter. No. Yeah. I agree with you. And if somebody's intent if if their if their their heart was in a place where they weren't intending to cause hurt and they did, the question I would have is why wouldn't you want to apologize or right. repair? So why here, wouldn't you here, want to if your here are the two was, pieces yeah. that I think exist here. And I was thinking about this on Tuesday, actually, um, after my th- therapy session. I think there is repair and understanding. When hurt has been happened (laughs) when hurt has occurred repair always needs to be made it is on at least in my opinion it is the responsibility of the hurt party to bring that up to own their feelings and say this is how i feel our relationship means enough to me to own that i'm feeling hurt and i need xyz i need an apology i need something whatever and then the party who did the hurting will say like you said if the intent was good i'm so sorry I never want to hurt you. Can you forgive me? Well, that, or that's, even just, I'm so glad you brought it to my I'm attention. I'm so glad you brought it to my attention. My, my so, intent so was that's, the that's meaning was different. Secondary. Yeah. Okay. I think repair has to happen first. I don't know what you mean by that. Repair. The apology. Okay. The making right. Okay. When hurt happens, there's a, you're for you're tearing the paper right because it's like the hurt has happened so you need to put some tape on it first to put the paper back together then once the tape has been put on the paper then the two parties are now working together again they're no longer at opposition they're now back on the same team they're back able to be collaborative because the tear has been the most pressing concern has been taken care of so now we can look back and say, okay, we know we're good. We know we care about each other and we care about our relationship more than being right. And we care about not hurting each other's feelings. That's important to us. So we figured that out. We've done the repair. We've taped back up the paper. That's instance one. Second instance is what went wrong. Clearly there was a misunderstanding, but now we're on the same team And we can be investigators together and figure out why is something that you didn't intend to hurt my feelings hurting my feelings. And so that's when the person who did the hurting can say, that is not at all what I intended. Like, I am sorry that it did that, but I really meant X, Y, and Z. And party two can say, I can see where that came from. Mm. When you said that, I heard this moving forward. So this doesn't happen again. We should do B instead. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think, it, it, but if the two pieces of paper are still ripped, if you go back and start saying, well, that's not what I meant, it just sounds like you're fighting more 
because you haven't taken care of the rip. You're not back on the same team yet. Okay. I see that. So I think it's both parties' responsibility, and I think that there is a very clear order and how you have to take care of it. Okay, that's where I... So let's explore. It's both parties' responsibility and or obligation, right? There's a sender of communication and a receiver of the communication. Yes. I would say if you want to keep the relationship, there's an obligation on both parties, yes. Right. Um, So the question... And I'm just thinking out loud, trying to explore this, is in some cases, why is it always the sender obligated to do the apology? So maybe the receiver uh, had something happen in their life recently, and the comment, the, the communication from the sender was really a trigger. So the, And the receiver received this in a different way. I mean, I could see an I can see a situation where somebody would say something that might hurt my feelings, but then I would step back. If I step back and I realize, or after we talk and I, after we talk and realize what their intent was, I could apologize to them. Yeah. For misunderstanding. Right. So I, I think, I think it's nuanced. And okay. I think it's complicated. I thought, but I, 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 do, because, I agree it is nuanced. Yeah. I thought you were trying to tell me that it's this, the center of the communication no. so, okay. responsibility to do the apology. I see what repair. you're saying. I, I think usually, yes. However, I think that hurt can go both ways. Whoever is doing the hurting, I do think is obligated to apologize. Yes. However, I think when arguments happen, typically hurting goes both ways. Because I know for me, I've been on the side of something where I am like, what you said, I said something that, an overused word, triggered you, and that hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, that was not my intent. Now I've made a mental note of it to not talk about that or say something about that, whatever. However, when you jumped to the conclusion that I was abandoning you the same way whatever childhood trauma did, that really hurts me that you would even think that of me. So it's like that hurting goes both ways in that misunderstanding. And then that is when the other person could say, you're right. I'm sorry. I was, I reverted back to my childhood trauma. I reverted back to my survival skills and not my elevated sense of emotional intelligence. Thank you for apologizing for the hurt. And I'm sorry that I hurt you with that expectation. Now the tape has been figured out. What can we do moving forward to prevent it from happening again? Okay. So I I think, yes, the hurter does have to apologize, but hurt can go both ways. Are you on I'm board good with, with that? most of that, yeah. Okay, sick. Yeah, I'm good with most of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think there are situations where the hurted, the one who is hurt, if they reflect and are honest with themselves, uh, would realize that they can make the apology. But the bottom line is we think of apologies as something that's due or owed or obliga- obligatory. And I think we should use the word, we should use our apologies to to in in a caring way whether to, we miss mm-hmm. whether i misunderstood what you said and i was hurt by it it doesn't it doesn't damage me to apologize no 
the, the apology is to say, look, I'm trying to empathize. I may or may not get it, but I'm doing my best to empathize. I think I understand where you're coming from. And I'm sorry that you feel bad. To me, the apology is all about showing the other person that you care more about them than about your own ego. That's what the apology is. And so it's great for both people to apologize. Yeah. Um, The world we're in seems to interpret an apology as uh, an admission of guilt. Yeah, And that is not what that is. And so I think if, but the first part of it is being hurt a lot. If 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 we um, if we go through the if we go through our daily lives um, with very high expectations and uh, expectations of others, and with you know with our 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 um, uh, what's a good word our a mentality that we are all self important and self righteous and we have all these rights to being human, then then. Almost anything and everything we can find fault in stuff that people do. Sure. But if we go through our day and we assume that people's intentions are good, generally, and that people's aren't, people aren't intentionally trying to hurt, then I think it's easier. We could still have high expectations of others and have these conversations, but we don't have to have them coming from a place of anger. It could come from a place of curiosity yeah. and care. A place of curiosity, I think, is a great way to say that. However, and I agree with the latter half of what you just said, but I think the first two things you, at least the way I heard them, was it sounded like you framed them as opposites, and I don't think those are opposites. Because the the way I heard it was that you said, Hmm. if we're walking around as though we're like entitled to all of this stuff and we have all of these baseline rights, like blah, blah, blah. Or we can walk around assuming people have good intentions. I think we can have both of those. I think we can say, this is baseline what I deserve. This is baseline what I will not put up with. But I can still always expect good intentions. I am still going to always give everyone the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. I think you can have both of those things. Okay, right. And sometimes even if you're wrong but you you know i remember i'd rather be wrong i remember assuming being the best of someone than the opposite yeah i remember being called blissfully ignorant and someone you know somebody told me you know you know what you just got dissed and i'm like well i feel better by not knowing it than i than knowing it now i would rather know the truth about the world mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day but you know it's okay to let some things go yeah it's okay to let not some things everything go. I, has to be i was reading a story the other day about a scuba diver uh who there was a when you go scuba diving there's a boat with say 15 people on one boat Mm -hmm. and you're living on this boat for a week with 14 other scuba divers and one scuba diver wanted to take pictures and he wanted to go his own way he didn't want to follow the rules of the boat that you know that incorporated certain levels of safety he felt wait so he didn't have a buddy he well he felt he didn't need that he felt he you know and they assigned him one just dumb they assigned him a buddy (laughs) So the buddy system was created as a best practice. Okay, okay. To, re- to provide redundancy under the water so that if somebody has an equipment problem or, or a, a, an air it's problem... It's a fail-safe. They can share with each other. It's also two brains are better than one right? Uh, when you're task-loaded, when you're, you know, you're underwater. Right. There are so, exceptions. There are times when sure. solo diving is, is acceptable, but... The, the, for, for the case of this story, buddy would be the right system to use. So, so that was, yeah, so that was, you know, self-entitlement number one, I guess. Right. Was, I don't have to have a buddy if I don't want to. I'm, right. 
trained. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And then number two was this person would stay down a lot longer. When you're down as a group or with a buddy, as soon as the first person of the group runs low on air, everybody comes comes up up. together. Yeah. And this person happened to be able to make his air last longer. And so, you know, the whole team would come up and sit so in the So he's making everyone wait. Sit in the boat and everybody's waiting on the guy. So it's not just dangerous for him, but and it's his, taking advantage of everyone's time. His state right. And his comments were I paid my money for the trip. I should be able to get my dives out of it. And on the one hand is yes, on the other hand is let's do a metaphor. Just because you buy a car doesn't mean you get to run the whole road. Yeah. If you if you're in a group setting, if we are in a social situation, we have to be social beings. We have to behave yeah. pro social behavior. That's literally what it is. And and so that to tie this back to the whole intent impact apology, apologizing is pro social. It go. does not matter what the in pro social behavior is ego last. It is putting yourself in other people's shoes it's golden rule 101 that's pro-social behavior sure why not right yeah it's common courtesy i I, golden rule yeah yeah common courtesy right there so um anyway so yeah okay i there's something else i want to go back to okay we're talking about the four elements of um achievement and or failure in the things that are present right we're talking about how um we started talking about how that also gets into questions of determinism and or free will, which are deeply linked. And this is something I was thinking about a couple weeks ago because of St. Patty's Day. And it started me thinking about something that I studied in high school for a paper about luck. And there's a whole section of philosophy dedicated to luck and how that is related to free will. So... When you say that one of the elements for success or failure is luck, philosophers that are much smarter than me have not yet been able to figure out a way to save luck, the element of luck or chance in life, without sacrificing free will. Because if luck exists, if something is up to chance, for instance, like your DNA, like the family you're born into, like the country that you're born into. We have no control over those things. We only have reactions to it. So if anything has any sort of element of luck, can we take credit for any of it? I think so. And when I use the word luck, so I think it comes down to how do we define that word? And I define the term to mean there's a component of randomness in everything. And, and some would argue, uh, so, so, so luck could be uh, at a particular company is, is, you know, did you happen to land with a boss that is more of your benefactor? Or did you happen to land with a boss that has tremendous insecurities about you? And in, in either case, you're going to do your best job but the, the personality, the environment, the history, the DNA of your boss can make or break your success. Yes. So that is a piece of randomness. So explain to me, which I'm like, I don't agree with this. I'm looking for a good answer. So I want okay. you to give me a good answer. <laughs> 
But this is something I've been contemplating. <clears throat> Why in that situation is worker and boss not just two sets of DNA, life experience, family of origin, and I don't know, belief system, worldview, positionality, right, right, right. whatever, We're all, all, all of those things right? just interacting with each other. When we make a choice, is it not from the amalgamation of all those things? And if our choices really do come back to the amalgamation of all of those things that we didn't have control over, are we actually making choices of our own free will? Or is that just random? I don't know. Uh, I don't know how I could I'm say not that sure that's I understand of... the question exactly. Is it just random? I guess what I'm trying to say is that I believe there are things in there are things that impact me in the world mm-hmm. and that impact my successes and failures that are truly out of my control in a sense that I either don't have the the skill, the knowledge, the background. I'm missing something, whether it's authority or whatever, to be able to control it. Exactly. Okay. So, but I don't know that having some components of the world out of our control is an argument in favor of wholehearted determinism. I'm not seeing that. Fair, fair. Um, So I guess the further argument that I have trouble with, because obviously I I am pro-free will. I would like to think that I have control over my life and the choices I make, so I'm trying to figure out a way to retain my free will. Um, If, I agree, just because every single action we take, we don't have 100% control over, doesn't mean that we don't have any free will. However, if any action we take, any action, is a combination of DNA, life experience, family of origin, positionality worldview. All four of those things, and and anything else that makes up your personality, your brain chemistry, everything that behavioral psychologists know about what makes us a personality, what makes us an individual, all of those things are out of our control. So if all of the things that impact the decisions we make are out of our control, how can the what's that linking gap? Those, that at, where where is free will added into that equation? Sure. Okay, I think I understand. I don't think you're including everything that impacts a choice or a decision. Okay. So so what what part of a choice or a decision adds back in free will? Our response to what happens to but us. But isn't our response based on DNA experience. I don't know. I mean, we could talk to Neo and say, <laughs> "Do you did he have the choice to but, but fight? Is, to fight? He he no, that, chose to fight. He said, I, why do you fight? I choose to.' I choose to. But that's the thing. The Matrix is based on Cartesian dualism, and this is. But the big head in the sky says, "You don't have a choice. Right? You're choosing to fight." And you will always choose to fight. You will always. There's not a world in which he doesn't. So why do we still, as the audience, root for Neo? Even though we know he's always going to choose. Because innately, we... we, I think there... This goes back to internal versus external locus of control. There is a piece of all of us, I believe, that has some level of internal locus of control. 
If no, not, yeah, we yeah, wouldn't yeah. roll out of bed in the morning, right? And the peace, that component, that innate feeling or that sense of wanting, whether we believe it wholeheartedly or not, I, I think we just, because as we grow, as we interact in the world, we observe, I'm, I'm changing the my answer a little bit. That's I'm, okay. I mean, I'm changing directions here. That's fine. Back away from internal sense, but we, we observe and learn. Mm-hmm purportedly supposedly presumably that there's a cause and effect to things we do and say and, and right. some of our actions okay so we observe what what appears to be cause and effect relationship to our actions therefore we have a sense mm-hmm. that that there's uh that we have that free will if there's a cause and effect okay base if there's an effect from me being the cause we believe now we we also we believe that we made a choice but that belief does not make it so you're right so so i but so here's where i'm going to go back to this um and this is unlike me because it's not my 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 view generally is when there's a unknown question i want an important question i want to know the answer yeah but i think when it comes to free will and determinism my view is similar to pascal's wager with god my view is if mm. I don't believe I have some amount of free will, then I ask. Then I have to ask myself the question: Why bother doing anything or getting out of bed? And so I'm yeah. going to choose. Well, is it? I believe I'm choosing that I have free will. So you're. This is Albert Camus, Nietzsche, existentialism 101. Is it? Yes. This is um, Albert. The famous Albert Camus quote. Um, mention of suicide trigger okay. warning um, do I make a cup of coffee or kill myself right but but that's it right it's like if I have free will mm-hmm. it, or if I don't have free will then what the hell is the point so do I go on living about my life like normal knowing that or should I just kill myself no you should uh, so for me it feels good to believe I'm making choices that make a positive difference. See, I agree. It feels good it to, make, feel, to make a wisecrack that makes somebody laugh. It would feel even better if I had a logical answer. So how, how do we prove that? Because there is some, or, or is that just a flaw in my own um, logical quandaries that i um, want an answer to what is c how do i prove that i am i think if 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 humankind didn't pursue these deep questions life would be a lot less rich but i also believe at some point (laughs) at some point we have to choose we have to focus our attention on what's a little more proximate what can Mm, make an impact mm, in our mm. opinion Mm-hmm. And I believe making somebody laugh uh, is a choice that I make. And if I, you know, if I crack a funny joke or what have you, and, you know, there's costs to that. I look like a moron most of the time, but every <laughs> once in a while somebody laughs. Or you look like a moron and if, someone if laughs. If at the end of the day it turns out that it's all been determined, I think I'm okay with that because I, I, it, at that time, will it matter? When I discover that it was all determinism, 
Will it matter at that point? I, I could make the argument that that is when it matters the most. Is when I discover it? Yes. You're assuming we, that I would discover this and then still have some life left to live. I'm assuming no. I won't discover it until all other options are gonzo. Wait, so I, I'm saying that when you would discover the answer to a question like that, I think it would be after all earthly experience has come to a close. Okay. But I do think that, well, this, this comes from my own personal belief system, but I do believe that there is a period of time that we will be here on this earth, and then there's a period of time after, some sort of afterlife that's not a traditional afterlife, but wherein... What's a traditional afterlife? I don't know what that means. I suppose that's fair. (laughs) Traditional in the Judeo-Christian sense. Okay. But where we join back with like cosmic goodness, ultimate consciousness, whatever, Mm -hmm. wherein we would be more likely to understand that question. Let me ask you this. Before death or after what we consider death, if you found out in 10 minutes, if you found out that we were all determined... What would you do? Spend my life trying to disprove that. If you were determined, would you have any say in it? I suppose not. But then I... But then, then do whatever determination... If you find out at any point... But, but then I would live my life trying to disprove it. Why would... Okay. Why... Did we just crack the code on free will? Why would a universe any sort of being wants to stay alive right whether it's a conscious we have a survival instinct generally yes all all beings do right so whether generally. it's a conscious being that is a ultimate an ultimate creator that created this universe and us as living beings as deterministic creatures or just you don't believe in an ultimate creator and you believe in the universe, but the universe is a being that wants to stay alive, wants to stay in motion, right? So either of those things, all all of those things would have a survival instinct. Why would one of those, anything that sets out determinism, determine one of those creatures to disprove itself if it wants to survive? So... If I spend my entire life hmm. trying to disprove determinism, I then disprove determinism. Well, if you if you if you believe in my proposition that I just unless set forth. unless this cosmic universal consciousness is having you do that deterministically, knowing you'll fail to convince <laughs> all the rest of us. But that but, it, that we have free will. But if it was. Hmm. But if it was having me do that deterministically to convince all of y'all, what if I did fail and I didn't convince anyone, but I still lived no, trying to disprove determinism? But you're saying these what ifs. If it's determined, well, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> I don't know. I just want to have free will. <laughs> you do. <laughs> so, but that's the thing is I believe I do. And there's no reason to explore the alternative because it's a um, it's an endless loop. It's either an infinite loop 
or and once that, you discover that, it, it doesn't matter. That is why I, I tend to fall into the existentialist camp of everything is meaningless, right? If, if you follow all of these thoughts down, you eventually get to, well, then everything means nothing. So nothing means everything. You embrace your own meaning. You create meaning for your life. I do tend to fall into that camp, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, I'm not sure I followed all that. That was pretty oh. heady for me. That's but. okay. But, th- but that's essentially what <clears throat> you said earlier. Saying, I, the I hear whole, your conclusion. Right? And so I'm like, yes, that is how I choose to live my life on a daily basis. But when I stop and have these conversations, I'm also like, okay, but... Man, there's so many things I'd love to know. I'd love to speak to God and have a conversation. Okay, so um, last last question before I wrap us up. Okay. You would love to speak to God and have a conversation. Who or what would you be speaking to in that conversation? I don't know. Um, so I, I'm... Uh, are you asking me what my religious slash spiritual kind of... Yeah. I, I, my current... My current uh, belief system my current I believe uh, it's really hard boy this isn't this isn't one last question Um, one last conversation some kind of and and it depends on what you call divine but some kind of divine creation seems to be inevitable in a basic sense if you can you get something from nothing if you cannot get something from nothing, then something the universe has to be is something omnipresent. Something has to be eternal, not necessarily eternal. 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 Yes, that's the right word. Something must be eternal. And what is, is that? Is that if not God? a divine creator? I don't know. It could but be. See, no, I, I mean you could have this eternal. Sorry, I, I asked you a question, and now I'm stepping all over your I'm answer. Not, yeah, so I'm not quite sure, but but. Just to try to simplify this, my current belief is there's a there's a probability that of some sort of creation out there. But I'm more of a believer in a... And, and when you say uh, there's a probability of some sort of creation, you mean there's a high probability that there was a creator. Uh, whatever that a was. A cause to creation. Yeah, whatever you call if it. If we're in effect, there was... There's an unmoved mover, There's a, pro- right? a probability... Um, but that said, my strongest sense and feeling is, is of a somewhat like a universal consciousness of which each of us is an individual consciousness as well as a part of this universal consciousness. And um, that's kind of where I stand today. Yeah. You know what Jorge Luis Borges says? That we are all fingertips of God's consciousness. And I, I kind of like that. I'm worried about which finger I am. Be the middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> and where that finger's been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. That the proctologist. It's been right up his nose. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so much ruder to you than all of my other guests because yeah, you're you my dad nice. and I can be ruder you be to nice. you. Um, so I tend to agree with you that if... Everything that is has to come from something. Like, energy cannot be created or destroyed, right? Um, Then there has to be something that exists before and after and beyond for eternity. Okay. So, agree? Here's my... I feel that way, yeah. No, I I do too. I have no evidence. I think... The interesting thing with that, though, is that I think it proves 
I mean, I would define that as God, but I don't know if everyone would define that as God. I think some people would say that that is like an atheistic definition of God to say that it's just an energy that has existed forever, like, or, or a, a scientist's definition of the universe, right? So I guess that's my last question before we go into wrap up is, do you think that with that belief system, there is some sort of way to reconcile atheists with theists in the sense that if we all believe in the science shouldn't there be a way for us to all reconcile using different language to talk about the same thing i i think so i think i understand what you're saying are you saying you know what what oh fundamentally what is the difference between religion and spirituality not not necessarily no, because I have a different thought about. I mean, I, that. I, yeah, I do think that to say divine creator or creator, I, I think there's some some people who are going to be staunch in their faith, whether their faith is atheism or whether their faith is monotheism or uh, any any other any other. Isms. Theisms. Isms. Um, I think there are people who will choose or who are uh, staunch enough in their f- belief, in their faith, that no, you will not reconcile that. I, However, I believe if we all look at what's right in front of us and what's around us, that yes, we can reconcile mm. the fact that we don't have... Uh, indisputable proof of either. Yeah, and we can so, reconcile that, and we could. I mean, we could be pa- we could be patient and accepting, and we can have our beliefs. But at the end of the day, if if we choose to believe something without a uh, a rational level of certainty, then the prudent of us would also believe there's a probability or a chance that we could be mistaken. Mm, Yeah. So do you think that there is an underlying truth that exists? Is there a capital T truth? I think there are some truths, yes. Is Uh, there truth? When you say a capital T truth, is there a truth? Yeah, there is a truth. Yes. I mean, it depends on how you define that. When you say, is there a truth, give me an example when there isn't. So not that, like, the sky is blue. That's not the kind of truth I'm I'm talking about. I mean, You're saying a creator or not. Is is there an ultimate truth? The Big Bang might be the truth. Right. God might be the truth. Um, So is uh, is there one that... guy behind a curtain might be the truth. One of those... Whether we know, whether we're aware, whether we have a theory for it or not, or a faith for it or not, there is truth because we're here. You do think here. that there's something that is an ultimate reality? Yes. Okay. We're not all in a dream. Cool. Yes. Cool. Um, do you believe the ghosts? Wait, let me back no? that up. Oh, okay. Even if we are all in a dream, that could be the truth. Okay, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Do you believe in ghosts? By definition, no. <laughs> okay. 
Nope. Do you believe in angels or demons? In the kind of religious sense or in the that person is really, really bad and I'm going to call them a demon? Not, well, however you want to define it. In, in a religious sense, do I think there's angels and demons in another dimension? No. But you think there are people that are really good people and people I that are I definitely really think there people. are angelic people and demonic people, yes. But you wouldn't say that they're non-tangible beings? Correct. Okay, okay. Not in a different dimension, but some human beings possess enough qualities of angels and or demons okay to warrant that definition do you believe in aliens that's a good one i think there is a correct answer to this question by the way um i would be i i'm a lot closer to to believing in an alien than the angel demon discussion okay cool cool Yeah, yeah yeah now um, second to last question. Okay. Is there anything we missed that you want to talk about? You had mentioned that there was something else you wanted to go back to about the school thing. So we can definitely touch on that. But also anything else in light of our conversation, in light of the things we talked about, in light of the things you said that you want to throw out there, that you want to clarify that we didn't touch on at all, but you think it's important to have while the mic is hot. Yeah. So I mentioned that I think, you know, any kind of... Uh, um comparative story of success or failure has the four components that we discussed Mm -hmm. and i do but what what i what i want to make sure is to let you know and i think you know this but to make sure me personally you and everyone you know this (laughs) that i am very very grateful for a couple of people in my life who i could have gone down to put it bluntly i was pretty much a screw-up for a lot of years and there were two people that came into my life that made a huge difference for the better in many, many, many ways. Um, Rob mm-hmm. being one, and I only mentioned him name first, his name first because I met him first. But then there was another person while I was in college, was bartending, and along comes a girl. <laughs> and uh, all I can say is, just like butter on corn, everything changed. <laughs> <laughs> Only you could take something so sweet about mom and turn it into a joke about TikTok. Um, Seriously, very though, unique your mother, skill. your mother has been a tremendous impact on my life, and I'm grateful for her. Me too. So I didn't want to go through this conversation without saying that. That's really publicly. sweet, Dad. Any anything else? No, I feel great. That's really lovely and wonderful. Um, last thing, you know the drill. One word that describes how you're feeling right now and you know that people say silly words and it doesn't have to be some profound beautiful word it's just an exercise to tie a bow on the conversation don't put pressure on it don't put you know what you're doing you're putting pressure on the exercise and the exercise doesn't deserve that yes dear um (laughs) (laughs) i am feeling i'm feeling honored i um i'm honored why I see where you're going. I see what you're doing for the world. And to be even a tiny part of it and to know you is a tremendous honor. And I'm, yeah, proud. All the dad stuff. But truly, (laughs) no, seriously, I'm honored, you know. Like I said, every success has a lot of randomness. We all get, we're all dealt a hand. 
you know some of us like you said dna you put throw that into the luck category some of us get a good hand when we're born um you know smarts good looks we're tall and handsome and all that good stuff some (laughs) of us you know draw you know five cards of crap um and it's not so we need to focus not on the hand that we draw but how we play our hand yeah and your hand you got a pretty stout hand i believe i got but just about the best hand anybody could get but i gotta tell you that that really is neither here nor there what what makes me honored and proud to be to know you and to hang out with you is how you play your hand and how you how hard you work thank you dad and you are not a small part of that you are quite a large part of that so thank you i love you Thank you all so much for listening today. Big thank you to Podington Bear for making Meanings theme music. If you want more info about today's episode, head to thecoherecollective.com and click on blog. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can subscribe to our newsletter on thecoherecollective.com so you never miss any updates. For information about all of our stuff, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok at The Cohere Collective. And you can follow me on Instagram at Lillian Reese Brown. If you feel so inclined, please leave an honest review or rating. This really helps me hone in on the audience that is going to resonate with my content and hopefully reach my goal of making the world a better place. Sharing the pod is also a great way to start conversations with important people in your life. Right now, I am feeling blessed. (laughs) I feel silly saying that word because it's been connoted in a bunch of different ways recently. But reflecting on my life, I really have so much to be grateful for and listening to the conversation that I was able to have with my dad and I I kind of struck the dad lottery didn't I so big big thank you to my father for taking the time to have this conversation with me to have other conversations with me that aren't on a microphone and for being such a great dad and of course a big thank you to you all for being here I hope you feel like you are living more coherently I'll catch y'all next time Love.